This is Space Time, Series 24, Episode 141, for broadcast on the 22nd of December, 2021. Coming up on Space Time, NASA launches the future of space communications into orbit. The Hubble Space Telescope gets back into full operations following its month-long emergency shutdown. And Space Junk destroys an antenna array on the International Space Station. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. The future of space communications has been launched into orbit by NASA. The Laser Communications Relay Demonstration, together with the joint NASA-US Naval Research Laboratory Space Weather Payload to study the sun's radiation, were launched as part of the US Space Force's Space Test Program 3 mission. The launch had been delayed by a week due to a leak in the rocket propellant ground storage system. The flight off Pad 41 at Cape Canaveral Space Force Station in Florida used an Atlas V rocket equipped with five strap-on boosters in order to get the heavy payload into geostationary orbit. Vehicle internal. Lock signature start. ECS reduced for launch. Roger. Status check. Go at. Go Centaur. Go STP-3. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, Two, one, and we have liftoff of the United Launch Alliance Atlas V rocket with the STP-3 mission for the United States Space Force. Vehicle has cleared the tower and is beginning the pitch over program. And the RD-180 is throttling down slightly as expected. Engine response looks good. And passing 20 seconds into flight, the PU system has gone to closed loop control. Uh, SRB chamber pressures continue to look nominal. RD-180 pump speed and fuel injector pressure. Fuel injector pressures continue to look good. Mach 1, Atlas 5 is now supersonic. Passing 45 seconds into flight, uh, vehicle is now passing through max Q, maximum dynamic pressure. And the RD-180 is throttling back up as expected. Engine response looks good. Passing one minute into flight, the vehicle is now uh, nine miles in altitude, uh, seven miles downrange, traveling at 2,200 miles per hour. And the RD-180 is throttling down again as expected. Uh, engine response looks good. Standing by for SRB burnout shortly. And just past a minute and a minute and a half into flight, uh, we have burnout on all five SRBs. Uh, burnout pressure signatures are looking good. And the RD-180 is being throttled back up as expected following SRB burnout. Uh, standing by for jettison shortly. And we have good indication of jettison of all five SRBs. And the vehicle has gone to closed loop Q-alpha limited steering uh, following SRB jettison. Uh, body rates are looking good. And the RD-180 is now uh, throttling to maintain a constant uh, 2.5G acceleration limit. Engine response and vehicle response looks good. And the Centaur reaction control system is now pressurizing the flight levels. Passing three minutes into flight, the uh, RD-180 pump speeds and fuel injector pressures continue to look good. Uh, the vehicle body rates look very good for uh, this phase in flight. And the vehicle is now uh, 65 miles in altitude, 150 miles downrange, traveling at 7,800 miles per hour. And we have good indication of payload fairing jettison. And we have Centaur forward load reactor deck jettison. And the RD-180 is throttling back up as expected. Engine response looks good. And the RD-180 is now throttling to maintain a constant 5G acceleration limit. Uh, engine response continues to look good. And Centaur has begun the uh, boost phase chill down portion of flight to thermally condition the RL-10 for operation. And we've had BECO booster engine cutoff. And we've had successful stage separation and saying pre-start on the RL-10. 
and we've had ignition for the first burn. Uh, this will be the first of three Centaur burns for today's mission, and will last a little under six minutes. The RL-10 startup parameters are looking good, and seeing the body rates close out nicely. The laser communications relay demonstration will test NASA's first two-way laser relay communication system, hopefully opening the door to new technology to expand horizons for future missions. It'll use infrared lasers, which have a far higher bandwidth, to send and receive data at a rate of 1.2 gigabits per second from geosynchronous orbit down to the Earth's surface. And that's between 10 and 100 times greater than traditional radio frequency systems used by spacecraft. Or to put that another way, it's fast enough to download an entire movie in under a minute. The new laser system's also smaller, lighter and uses less power than traditional radio frequency systems, making it ideal for spaceflight. NASA will spend two years studying the laser communication system, conducting experiments, assessing how weather and other changes in Earth's atmosphere can impact laser communications, and measuring link performance to refine its operational capabilities and processes. Some experiments will simulate relay scenarios between the Moon and Earth to determine how laser communications could one day be used in NASA's Artemis missions. Later in the mission, the system will serve as a relay, connecting an optical communications terminal aboard the International Space Station with ground stations on Earth. NASA's integrated laser communications relay demonstration low-Earth orbit user modem and amplifier terminal – don't you love those catchy names – will allow for the first demonstration of a fully operational end-to-end -end laser communication system from the space station. The other NASA science payload launched aboard the spacecraft was the Ultraviolet Spectrochronograph Pathfinder, a joint experiment with the United States Naval Research Laboratory to study the origins of solar energetic particles, the sun's most dangerous form of radiation. Pathfinder was designed and built by the US Naval Research Laboratory. The $1.14 billion mission also carried several classified spacecraft designed to aid with navigation and communication systems in space, including one satellite specifically designed to detect nuclear detonations in space. This is space time. Still to come, NASA's Hubble Space Telescope back in full operations after shutting down for over a month, and Russia sends two more space tourists to the International Space Station. All that and more still to come on space-time. Okay, let's take a break from our show for a word from our sponsor, NordVPN. As a space-time listener, NordVPN's offering you a really special holiday season deal, but it's for a very limited time only. NordVPN's offering you an incredible 73% off a two-year plan, plus one month free. But this limited offer is only good for space-time listeners. That's right, 73% off a two-year deal and the first month's free. And of course, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. So you really have nothing to lose and so much to gain. NordVPN gives you secure internet access from hackers, from people trying to steal your banking information, from people trying to get hold of your personal data and information, and of course it protects you from unsavory people snooping on you and your children. In other words, it's top-notch security at an incredible price. Now, to take advantage of our special offer, you need to go to nordvpn.com slash stuartgary. That's S-T-U-A-R-T-G-A-R-Y, and it's all in lowercase. 
That's nordvpn.com slash stewardgary. And you can check out the offer for yourself, and I'm sure that, like me, you'll be convinced that this offer is too good to pass by. As I said last week, we were using another virtual private network, and there were constant problems with compatibility issues. But with NordVPN, all those problems disappeared, because NordVPN works. So, that 73% discount off a two-year plan, one month free, and a 30-day money-back guarantee. So, what have you got to lose? Give NordVPN a try. And what a great last-minute Christmas gift. But remember, this is a very limited-time offer, so you need to go to the special space-time NordVPN website. That's nordvpn.com forward slash Stuart Gary, nordvpn.com slash Stuart Gary. And, of course, you'll be helping to support our show. And, of course, those URL details will be in the show notes and on our website. And now, it's back to our show. This is Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA's Hubble Space Telescope is now back up and running after technicians were able to recover the last of the orbiting observatory's four primary instruments, the imaging spectrograph. The 31-year-old telescope suddenly went into safe mode in late October, with all scientific instruments going offline after detecting a loss of specific data synchronization message error code. Scientists still don't fully understand what triggered it all. They focus their efforts on isolating problems with hardware that commands the instruments and which forms part of the Science Instrument Command and Data Handling Unit. They've been analysing the circuitry of the control unit, which generates the synchronisation messages and then passes them on to the instruments. All the engineers could really do was develop changes to instrument parameters which alter how the instruments monitor and respond to missed synchronisation messages, as well as how the payload computer monitors the instruments. The idea of these changes is to allow science operations to continue even if several missed messages occur. The software workarounds progressively being tested and installed on all four instruments. With the launch of Hubble's success of the James Webb Space Telescope planned for today, NASA's hoping for the two observatories to work together well through this decade, expanding science's knowledge of the cosmos even further. We'll have a full report on James Webb's launch next week. This is Space Time. Still to come, Russia sends two more space tourists to the International Space Station and a space station antenna array destroyed by space junk. All that and more still to come on Space Time. A Soyuz spacecraft carrying two Japanese space tourists and a Russian cosmonaut has successfully docked with the International Space Station. The Soyuz MS-20 mission docked with the Poisk module in the Russian segment of the orbiting outpost just over six hours after launching from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in the Central Asian Republic of Kazakhstan. We confirm order sequence initiated. Copy. Order sequence initiated. The second umbilical is now retracting. Engine ignition. Turbo pumps coming up to flight speed. Second umbilical tower separates. Engine turbo pumps at flight speed. And liftoff. Liftoff of the Soyuz MS-20 with two Japanese spaceflight participants and a Russian cosmonaut now beginning their journey to the International Space Station. Rocket parameters are nominal. 
Everything's fine on board. We are feeling great. 30 seconds into flight, crews are reporting good first stage performance. 40 seconds of flight, the vehicle is stable. Second stage booster. We confirm, nose cone fairing, jettisoning. Copy. And we confirm at five, control descent. And confirmation of the launch shroud jettison. The rocket's out altitude now about 49 miles high, traveling at a speed of about 5,203 miles per hour. The vehicle is stable. We confirm second stage separation. Second stage separation is confirmed. Separation and thrust activation. Copy. Third stage engine is up and running, everything looking good, now traveling just over 9,500 miles per hour and 100 miles in altitude. 520 seconds of flight, all parameters are nominal and standby for contact separation. Third stage shutdown confirmed and spacecraft separation confirmed. Next step will be the deployment of the solar arrays. The solar arrays unfolding now. Altair, this is MCC Moscow. And we now have confirmation the solar arrays and the navigational antennas have been deployed as planned. Moscow, Altair, how copy? Loud and clear. How was the separation? Everything went nominal, nominally. Copy. Again, liftoff occurring at 1.38 and 15 seconds a.m. Central Time. Eight minutes and 46 seconds into flight was third stage shutdown and separation on the 2.1A booster. With the solar arrays and navigational antennas having been deployed, the Soyuz MS-20 is on its way to the International Space Station. Maizawa and Morano are making their journey into space under a contract between Space Adventures and Roscosmos. The crew will turn to Earth, will return to Earth on December 19th U.S. time, December 20th Kazakhstan time, in the MS-20 vehicle they are launching in today. The Soyuz MS-20, closing in on the International Space Station on the tail end of its four-orbit six-hour journey. The Soyuz and the International Space Station just flew into an orbital sunrise over the South Pacific. The Soyuz is currently conducting a series of impulse burns. Those burns are small thruster firings from the engine that will enable the Soyuz to more precisely fine-tune its course to the International Space Station. Now under two minutes away from the fly-around by the Soyuz. Again, that milestone comes about 400 meters from the station. Current range is 220 meters. Uh, range rate is 0.17. Soyuz now 200 meters away from the International Space Station. Uh, Raw uh, maneuver is uh, about to be completed. Copy. Approach flag set on both vehicles. Copy. The roll maneuver you just heard orients the solar arrays for the docking position. We were waiting for a final approach. Current range is 180 meters and range rate 0.7. And we have confirmation that final approach has been initiated. Russian flight controllers are happy with the alignment. And again, that final approach has been initiated. 70 meters is the range. 0 0.3 uh, meters per second is the rate. And uh, the panel decided to reboot uh, itself once again. Copy. Now just under 70 meters, separating the Soyuz and the International Space Station. 60 meters is the range. The range rate is 
0.26. I can see the target in the center of the crosshairs. Copy. The crosshairs and crosshairs are aligned. Copy. 34 meters is the range, and the rate is 0.9. The target is in the center, and the crosshairs are aligned. Copy. 30 meters is the range, and the range rate is 0 0.8. 0 0.08. The target is in the center. Crosshairs are aligned. The range is 14 meters. The crosshairs are aligned, and the target is in the center. Copy. 12 meters. The target is in the center. The range rate is 0 0.12 meters per second. The target width is two squares. Crosshairs are aligned. The target is in the center. 2.5 squares is the width of the target. We're standing by for the contact. The crosshairs are aligned. The target is in the center. Standing by for contact. Contact is confirmed. And uh, also we have a docking interface. In Contact and capture confirmed at 7.40 a.m. Central Time, 8.40 a.m. Eastern Time as the International Space Station and the Soyuz MS-20 flew 260 statute miles over the Atlantic Ocean. The space tourists are spending 12 days aboard the space station where, amongst other things, they'll host a badminton tournament. While the costs of tickets to the orbiting outpost isn't disclosed, it's understood each of the tourists paid between 50 and $60 million per seat for the ride. Of course, that is return and meals are included. This is space time. Still to come, one of the International Space Station's antennas destroyed by space junk, and later in the science report, IBM builds the first quantum computer with more than 100 qubits on a single chip. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Astronauts have finally been able to undertake a spacewalk outside the International Space Station to repair a broken antenna. Extravehicular activities, or EVAs, that's NASA speak for spacewalks, were banned for several weeks following Moscow's decision to test an anti-satellite missile system by blowing up a disused Soviet-era spy satellite. The explosion sent a cloud of debris flying through orbit at over 28,000 kilometres per hour. Space station crew were forced to postpone the spacewalk following a debris notification warning from mission managers concerned that wreckage from the Russian test could reach the space station and the astronauts. So far, more than 1,700 sizable pieces of shattered satellite have been tracked from the incident, but of course hundreds of thousands of additional pieces and shrapnel, too small to be detected from the ground, are also slowly expanding outwards in an ever-billowing cloud of debris. When the astronauts were finally given the green light to undertake their spacewalk, they were shocked to find that the antenna they were sent to repair had been damaged by space junk. The pair found at least 11 small debris strikes on the failed antenna. But not all the damage was new. The antenna first began malfunctioning in September. 
It had been installed 20 years ago, and some of the damage looked old. In other words, with or without the Russians' help, there's a lot of space junk up there. This is Space Time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with the Science Report. A new Israeli study has confirmed that people who have had both doses of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine became increasingly more likely to be infected with the virus over time from three months after their second dose. The findings, reported in the British Medical Journal, are based on electronic health records to analyse how often vaccinated people were receiving positive COVID-19 tests and how long it had been since their vaccination. The researchers say that while the Pfizer vaccine does provide strong protection from COVID-19 infection, the chances of testing positive to COVID-19 gradually increased over time from about 90 days after the second dose. The researchers acknowledge that the interpretation of their findings is still limited by the observational design and they cannot rule out the possibility of other unmeasured factors, such as household size, population density or the virus strain which they have been infected with. More than five and a quarter million people have now been killed by the COVID-19 coronavirus since it first spread out of Wuhan, China in late 2019. However, the World Health Organization says the true death toll is likely to be double that amount, with more than a quarter of a billion confirmed COVID cases. IBM have built the first quantum computer containing a chip with over 100 quantum bits or qubits. A report in the journal Nature claims the quantum chip, which contains 127 qubits, has been named the Eagle Processor. The fundamental computational unit of quantum computing is the quantum circuit, an arrangement of qubits into quantum gates and measurements. Instead of the ones and zeros of conventional computers, quantum computers include not only ones or zeros, but also one and zero at the same time. It's another step on the path to ultimately building quantum computers capable of performing tasks which even the largest conventional supercomputers based on classical technology cannot do. However, the early indications are that even when they are perfected, quantum computers will be highly specialised, built to perform very specific tasks, not the general sort of tasks traditional computers undertake. The United States and Gulf countries say Iran's actions are causing a nuclear crisis which is destabilising the entire Middle East. A joint statement by the United States, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Bahrain, Oman and Kuwait warns that Iran has now taken steps for which it has no civilian need but would be important to a nuclear weapons program. The communique says the Islamic Republic's support for terrorist groups and armed militias across the region and its ballistic missile program pose a clear threat to regional security and stability. The warnings come as the United Nations nuclear watchdog, the International Atomic Energy Agency, says Tehran's stockpile of highly enriched uranium is now well over 2,489.7 kilograms, many times in excess of the limit laid down in its 2015 Vienna Agreement with the United States, Britain, China, France, Germany and Russia. For its part, Iran says its nuclear program is for peaceful power generation only. 
Sony has stopped taking orders for its recently released ZV-E10 camera due to the ongoing global chip shortage. These are the same chip shortages which have limited supplies of the latest Xbox and Sony PS5 PlayStations. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Sahara-Vroit from ity.com. Yeah, well, Sony, in the news again, they have stopped taking orders for their recently released ZV-E10 vlogging camera, and that's due to chip shortages. Now, this is a dedicated mirrorless vlogging camera used to create video blogs and you know Instagram videos and any kind of video, YouTube videos, but because of the chip shortages, they've had to cease production. These are the same chip shortages that have limited supply of the latest Xbox and Sony PS5 and other electronics besides. Now, Sony says they'll only start up production again depending on the status of part supply. So they'll definitely be made again, but uh, these chip shortages are having real consequences. And Sony's actually paused production of three other cameras as well, one of which was from a few years ago. So, I mean, in theory, those chi- older chips should be easy to make, but I guess the shortages are spreading. So with Samsung investing over $200 billion in its upcoming chip fabrication factories, which includes one in the U.S., you know, to guarantee supply to U.S. organizations, I guess, the chip shortages are seeing a lot of investment in chip fabrication plants or fabs. Samsung's investing over $200 billion, a staggering amount in future chip fab production. Intel is spending at least $20 billion on two fabs in Arizona, I read that they were doing some in Europe as well. And Sony and TSMC, which is the company that makes processors for Apple and others, they're co-building a chip fab in Japan, but it won't be ready until 2024. So none of that future stuff helps with the shortages now. We'll be swimming in chips in the future, thank goodness. But, of course, today it's having, as you said, real consequences. A new virtual reality headset from Sony. Tell us about it. This is an ultra-realistic 8K VR headset prototype, and it was just shown off in the first week of December from the 6th to the 8th at Sony Technology Day. And this headset promises that you can share experiences with an overwhelming sense of reality. Now, the best thing for you to do is go and watch the four-minute video that Sony has uploaded to YouTube. I've made a bit.ly link, so it's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Alex Sony, bit.ly slash Alex Sony. And it showcases these new, this what it calls an OLED micro display and low latency head mount display. So it projects a high def 3D space and achieves high res of 4K with one eye and 8K with both eyes. It's got twice the pixels of your OLED phone and these pixels are so small that you can't see them so you don't get that screen door effect. Mm. And they pair CMOS image sensors with 4K OLED displays and they've got ultra low processing time. So this is so you don't feel dizzy and they have this thing called latency correction so the video looks incredibly smooth and realistic and that was the first thing you'll see when a lady puts on the headset and they have a screen there is this ultra realistic looking fancy car say so a convertible so you're looking right at the steering wheel and it just looks real it's still only a prototype it's not on sale yet but sony could commercialize this if it wanted to and if you click through that bit.ly slash alex sony link there's a show more button in the description and you'll find a link to the sony technology Day website they've got seven more amazing tech demos and other videos there that are definitely worth watching and it's stuff that will in theory be released this decade is that just for gaming or will it have uses in other areas as well well if you watch the a little four minute video they show how this headset can be used you now there's a child who's manipulating a 3D object in his hand. There's a guy looking at some sort of engine with 3D. I mean, they show a whole range of scenarios where this headset... Ah, so I can carry out brain surgery using this 3D technique. Yeah, well, I mean, if you've put on a a VR headset and you've been sort of underwhelmed that it still looks computery, 
I mean, imagine putting on a headset and thinking what you're seeing is I real. I find them addictive. Once I get them on, I don't want to leave that world. Well, look, they've, they've had movies like... all about me when you think about it. <laughs> well, they've had Probably movies not like... good. They've had movies like that about, you know, one was called Surrogates. But... Um, We've also had the, the, the headsets that they put on in the Neuromancer books or Johnny Mnemonic, the movie. And, uh, you know, this is the decade we we're going to have VR and AR and mixed reality absolutely yes. explode. There's talk that Apple is going to release its AR headset next year. They're going to position it as a dream for gamers. Communication, uh, gaming and something else are going to be the three topics because you know, I always like to come out with three major things that their headset can do. And when you're overlaying information on reality, you'll get to a point where, I mean, if you think people are addicted to their phones now, wait till I've got these uh, headsets sets on, especially the ones you can see through so you can navigate and continue getting information. And uh, it'll just be a game changer. You won't be able to live a modern life without having these this headset on. Yeah, that was what I thought Google Glass was going to do. It was just too early for its time. The technology wasn't good enough, wasn't high-res enough, they couldn't display enough information. I mean, it did what it did, and I saw a wonderful video where this lady was able to use, she was of low vision, or maybe no vision, but look, she was able to navigate around, and you could go into shops and look at items like a bottle of milk or whatever it was, and the system could tell her what she was looking at and could, you know, read the text if it could detect it on whatever she was looking at and tell her about it. So, you know, that was a form of bionic, you know, sound controlled. And and the next generation beyond that would naturally do what Google does now with a phone, but with a form of glass and let you look at the label, no matter what language it's in, tell you what it is, tell you what its calorie count is. Yeah, everything. It'll be able to tell you everything about it, search about it. And of course, you know, in your ear, you have a a headset that's giving you all this information, you know, discreetly Mm. and privately. And the experience Google offered 10 years ago was primitive compared to the advances they have today. So yeah, this kind of technology is absolutely incredible. And, you know, it'll be helping more and more people. And and by the end of this decade, this time in 10 years, I mean, we'll just remember these little quite rectangles of glass we used to peer at. And if we wanted to look at AR things, we had to hold them up to our eyes and move things around. And we couldn't see an entire vista in front of us we just had to look through a little six or seven inch piece of glass to see this virtual world it'll seem very quaint indeed that's alex saharov royt from ity.com and that's the show for now Spacetime is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Spacetime's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter, at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, 
through our SpaceTime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash SpaceTime with Stuart Gary. And SpaceTime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to SpaceTime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 